RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? I can't complain. Mike, how are you? Doing good. How are you guys? So today, we're talking about Call of Cthulhu and the scenario from the Call of Cthulhu quick start rules, The Haunting. The Haunting is a, is a pretty famous uh, Call of Cthulhu scenario. For a lot of people, if you play Call of Cthulhu, The Haunting was probably your first session. It's been in the quick start booklets and in the core rule book for years. So spoilers, spoiler alert, if you have not played The Haunting. I usually don't give spoiler alerts for our fourth edition games or for our unique Pathfinder games. But I really feel like a lot of a lot of Call of Cthulhu game masters run the haunting right out of the gate. So if you plan to play Call of Cthulhu, you might want to tune out. But if you played the haunting, stay with us. And actually, this week we are joined by Nathan. Hey guys, how y'all doing? Hey Nathan. Howdy. So Nathan, we've referred to him several times in previous podcasts. Uh, he's going to be with us because there, there, there were a couple of moments in this game. Where Nathan was particularly negatively impacted by some bad GMing decisions that I made, and I want him here to speak his piece. And also, unfortunately, Nathan is leaving our table. He's moving away. He's pursuing a different job in an entirely different state. Now he's leaving our table, but hopefully not our game. Always been in your hearts. Yes, yes that's, that's true. Always in our hearts. Are you nervous? Because you're like just like just saying like one sentence and then just dropping out. Well, he also can't see us, so... Yeah, as I'm saying, yeah. We're, we're all facing... So we're all in the same room. We're all facing different directions on different microphones, and I can kind of swivel my eyes, and I can see everybody. It's really awkward for Nathan. But Nathan's in a corner completely facing away from us uh, to hopefully capture the, the cleanest sound. He's surrounded by the, the sound the sound foam. The dulcet tones of Dusty's voice. Yes, there's that as well. It's like if this were a horror movie, Nathan would be the weird creature sitting in the corner that you sneak up on. It looks normal from the back, but then he turns around and he's got like a horribly disfigured face. I, yes. I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Nathan, want to throw questions your way? I'll try to actually say Nathan and then ask the question. That way you know to jump in. Oh, you're good. I'm just in here admiring this lovely Superman versus Muhammad Ali uh, comic. Yes, yes, RFC Studios, heavily, heavily uh, decorated with Brian's extensive Transformers collection from his primary show, Radio Free Cybertron. TFRadio.net. So... Let's talk about the haunting. So in the quick start rules, which we'll link to in the show notes, uh, it's 18 pages. It's an 18 page scenario. Uh, and Call of Cthulhu is another D100 game. It's the exact same system as Escape from Earthport, uh, a previous episode we recorded that also uses Chaosium's uh, BRP or, or D100 system. So there are a couple of, of additions here, right? Sanity is a little different. Um, luck is a little different, but it's by and large the same Chaosium BRP D100 system. Uh, the Escape from Earthport scenario is literally two pages, and that's it. This scenario, 18 pages. Uh, a, a lot of content to go through, but in all those 18 pages, no pre-made characters, which as, as GM prepping to run you guys, I found a little annoying. I actually had to go out online and find pre-made characters. So I was able to do that. I found some pre-made 1920s ad adventurers, thankfully, that, that, that weren't named, which I liked. Whenever I throw pre-mades at you guys, I, I, having you make that pre-made your own and having some little step you can complete to make it your own, I think, adds to it. Mike, what do you think? Did, 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 
did naming the character help you own it or the fact that you hadn't rolled the stats, you still didn't own it and it didn't make a difference? I don't think it made much of a difference because I don't remember too much about my character from this game. I also point out that the sample character sheet I'm looking at that wasn't mine, but was someone else's, they named their character Dr. Doc Octor. So Dr. Doctor. So I don't think we took the whole naming seriously. Well, as give me an, the news. As an owning. Exactly. As, as an owning mechanism. Yeah. Nathan, what do you think? I mean, I think slapping a stupid name on something like this can endear you to the character in some meta aspect. I don't really get super attached to uh, my characters, but given the situation where you're not rolling your own stats and it's really a one-shot, something as small as that can help move things along and give the uh, group something to you know bounce off each other going forward. Brian, any thoughts? You know, um, with this uh, with this game, again, considering it was a one-shot, uh, we, we only did one one game of this, right? Of Call of Cthulhu, yes. Yeah. Um, I honestly couldn't tell the difference between something that you would have re- rolled for us and this. I, I don't remember my character's name exactly, because it's not this, right? This is uh, the one that you... Was it John Buckley? You might have been John Buckley. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously it doesn't resonate, so... Is, is that your handwriting on the back? No, it's not. Oh. Who the that, hell? That All may right. be mine. That, yeah, that looks like your handwriting. Okay. Yeah, we didn't know whose character was whose, but I did want to hand out the character sheets before we recorded because there is a point I want to make about RPGs in general and something that aggravates me personally. Uh, RPGs are kind of stuck in this weird limbo between the analog and the digital. So there's still this idea that a character sheet has to be able to account for any possible, you know, in some games, race and class, in this game, combination of skills uh, and background. So you have this very generic form that takes up an entire page that you fill out, but the actual content is much smaller than that. So in Escape from Earthport in the same system, our character sheets easily fit on an index card. But the, but this this generic layout that takes up an entire page, I, I don't know. During the game, was this hard to navigate? Like, was it hard to refer back to your skills? Was it hard to find that relevant skill at the relevant moment, or was it fine? I had a fair amount of difficulty keeping track of things. Um, I noticed that a lot of these uh, scales, you know, it's running 0 to basically uh, 99 to 100 pips on this uh, scale. I, I don't require recall. Do most things like sanity or luck go up or down, or do they just progress in uh, one, you know, linear fashion? Sanity largely trends down, but uh, but there, there are a couple things that can help you regain sanity. Okay. So, like, not playing a Call of Cthulhu uh, game for a long period of time... Like, my character, I don't remember him risking going insane, but I could absolutely see that happening on a prolonged... In a campaign, for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I made a big deal out of sanity, and I did have you guys roll and, and lose some sanity. You did. Um, and I talked at length in the session about sanity and what it means and how it's just another way for your character to, to basically end, to, to stop being useful in the game, is, is, is if they go too far down the sanity scale, and, and, and they're left to... A gibbering mess locked in an asylum somewhere. Which is how things should wind up. That's exa- exactly how I expect it in, you know, with my, out my 50s and 60s. In a Cthulhu game, yeah, I think so. But I expect a more liquid design of character sheets these days. I expect to, you know, log into some app or, or some web portal or some spreadsheet, build out a character, and hit a button and have it generate my character sheet where only the skills that I have are the skills that show. And it's a fairly minimalist design, and it's an expectation that I have that, that almost no game meets, but 
printing out these character sheets and, and, and bringing them, and I was just struck by how different it was from our much cleaner um, Star Wars Escape from Earth board game. Moving on. All right, let's talk about the actual game itself. So I actually had the government recruit you guys. I, I stole a bit from Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And I had some really. Government. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope that was obvious because I, I was using some quotes from that. I had the government recruit you guys and explain to you. So you all show up at this nondescript location. This gentleman introduces himself as, as basically a G-man, and he uses some of the quotes from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark like, you know, you're all top men in your field. Top men. Yep. And then you kept repeating that for like two or three minutes straight. Super <laughs> Winking at us at one point. Get it? Winking uh, uh. us? I don't know. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. But anyway, um, top men in your field, and, and you're needed to help solve the mystery of, of this house. So you were assigned this mystery by the government, which in the 1920s, I hope, felt less Big Brother and more like a, a, a mark of trust. Well, Mark's brothers. More like a mark of, hey, your country needs you to do a service, and, and, and in the 20s, it, you know, you'd, you'd be like, absolutely, I will completely help out my government in this country that I love. It was less uh, jaded than we are today. But what do you guys think? Did, did, did I did that specifically because gelling as a group can be hard. It can be hard to say, why are we doing this? Was that enough to give you an excuse I think that's usually a jumping point, uh, a jump-off point our party needs whenever it comes to new adventures. Because it seems like every time we start either a new, a new, uh, a new campaign or a new one-off, our we our, our characters usually approach it with an idea of what's in it for me, and so then that puts you in a bad position of a GM is having to come up with these these impetuses and these these benefits of why we should should take place in the campaign as a character. And for me, uh, it's hard for me to subtract myself out of the equation. So, um, you know, I, I sat down at the table with you guys, and I want to have a good time. And sometimes having a good time means breaking the game a little bit. It's like, well, okay, Dusty's laid out this campaign. and we, I think we're all always a little tempted sometimes just to say, oh, well, let's uh, actually go to a play yeah. or, or something like that. <laughs> but, but at the same time, though, it's... Yeah, I understand, and this is metagamey, but I can't help it, that there is a plot that Dusty has laid out, and I want to see what happens. And yeah. that's usually enough incentive for me to just go about doing it. I have a hard time RPing at the get-go with a new character. I have to go through the motions and then find a hook from that I can utilize in the RPing element. So I'm usually really mostly just inclined to just go along with whatever the, the GM has laid out for us. I mean, every party needs a tavern to start out. Yeah, pretty much. Especially for, like I said, as I mentioned, for the one-shot all aspect of it. You know, some people are going to want to uh, sit down and make it, you know, very elaborate, long, you know, backstory for their characters. Uh, probably less so for one shot. And some people, like myself, you know, glance briefly at whatever pre-gened uh, background there is and never look at it again. Uh, so, you know, throw us all together, get things going. I wouldn't say it's a necessary evil. I'd just say it's necessary. You know, I just had a terrible idea, and it, I hope hope we never do it. But kind of, you're talking about starting off in a bar. Uh, it would be funny if at some point we did an RP where we're playing ourselves, the three of us, and we we start off in Fuji, and then <laughs> and then Jason's gone missing or something like that. 
or or lady night nice lady just starts off with a quest of where's your friend who likes the carrots yeah well that's me that, so I, that you, would be you but that that could be like the twist nathan i want to ask you a question because this moment that just happened organically sums up a lot of your gaming career with us so <laughs> nathan nathan joined our game gosh probably about a year ago nathan uh, give or take yeah uh, maybe a little bit less than a year ago and he has to constantly put up with our in jokes and our stories and our history um You've adjusted to it marvelously. We love having you in the game. What do you think about that? Has that been a, has that been hugely painful, annoying to be expected? What do you think? Uh, whenever that happens, I experience something I would just call a mild amusement, and just I've made a point to note down the occasional things y'all say, so I can bring it back up to y'all later for either blackmail or comedic value. So. <laughs> Sometimes it's the same thing, really. Yeah, yes. yeah, very much so. So it, we've gone to some effort to incorporate Nathan into our group and to, sh- and to let him in on some of that stuff. But Nathan's also done a great job of just jumping in with both feet. And, and you know, we like him. We like gaming with him. And we do refer to, to backstory stuff. And, and he lets it roll off, roll right off of him. Let's He's talk about the research. Too. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. He's very handsome, too. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> Let's talk about the research phase of this game. So Call of Cthulhu, the way a lot of scenarios are laid out, there's kind of a lengthy research phase where you go to the library or the registrar of deeds or bookstores and look up microfilm and it gets crazy um but you do a lot of research or, or based on the way the scenario is written it seems like you're expected to do a lot of research how did you what did you guys think of that of that phase because we spent probably like an hour of game time on the research phase it, it seemed to me like in the game they were trying to create that montage like you'd see in a movie where you get that quick snippet of I'm doing research. I found the clue I need. Here's the here's the exposition you need to get to the plot. And I felt almost like in this game it was trying to recreate that, but it took a long time. Like the montage wasn't a montage. It did. Um and, and there's a moment I want to talk about. So the 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 scenario, the 18-page scenario does a good job of giving a lot of handouts. There are a lot of handouts in the handout section for different things characters can roll and find at different places. And I've got some more to say about this, too, but I want to jump to a moment, Nathan, for you, where as you guys researched and researched and researched, I handed you guys articles and old copies of the the local newspaper, um, just a ton of stuff, and Nathan wound up collecting it all. Uh, And... Well, I mean, my uh, my character's background, as I recall, was a librarian, or a, it actually might have been a reporter, someone that would have had, you know, we've been doing this anyway, and uh, we'll go into it right now. This wasn't my first, uh, I'm sorry, what, what was the system called again? Uh, well, just Call of Cthulhu is, is the system, but it's based heavily on BRP, basic role-playing. BRP, right. This is my first BRP or BRP-like game, and I'll go to it right this second, but I'm not the world's biggest fan of it, so the opportunity to dive into these, you know, these are just newspaper articles that print out, you know, fake ones, I, I hope, uh, print out. And just going down and taking, Lordy, the eight or nine we had and doing an almost conspiracy theory like circle here, note there, connects to here, you know, possible inference there. And doing this whole wide web and, you know, collecting the overall story out of that to present to the others was, you know, something I did because, you know, I frankly enjoyed that more than some of the uh, stuff going on. I'm not, I'm not the world's biggest uh, Cthulhu fan. I you know, appreciate it just fine, but you know, it doesn't really do anything for me. But what you actually did is you, you took all the articles, mm-hmm. and you're like circling stuff and arrows back and forth, and you're figuring out how all these articles tie together, right? Correct. 
So he's probably 75% of the way through that. And then Mike's character was, was at, you know, the newspaper office talking to a reporter and Mike got a hold of the, of the last handout that hadn't been handed out yet, which was a story that never made the paper. And this story is where some reporter did the research and did exactly what Nathan was trying to do. The reporter in this draft story that Mike got a hold of laid out all the connections basically between all the articles and basically, I mean, pretty much this one handout lays out the entire plot, the entire plot behind the house and what's going on with the house and the history of the house is laid out in this one article that was supposedly never printed that Mike got a hold of and just it negated all of Nathan's work. The uh, reporter, folks, uh, was actually named M. Guffin. It's super weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nathan, in the moment, you kind of threw your hands up and you were like, well, but, but whatever. And uh, I regretted it instantly. I was like, oh, I should have looked at the handouts more closely and realized that that was the handout to end all handouts. And I should have called that one. I really regretted introducing that into the game because of your reaction. Talk about your reaction. Um. Pretty much as you said, it was, it was aggravating at the time. I wouldn't say it's world-ending. Uh, to be perfectly frank, at that point, I was just kind of happy for you know the things to move on and the uh, get to the dice rolling and fighting and good all that good stuff. Very swords and boards kind of guy. Yeah, if anything would stop me from playing Call of Cthulhu again, it's probably the research phase. But I also wonder if it's necessary, and we'll get to that. Is that something that happens in every pre-made campaign? I don't know about every, right? But So I, I have the 7th edition Quick Start, but I have the 6th edition Handbook. And in the 6th edition Handbook, there are like five scenarios in the back. As I recall, most of those had a research phase. So I'll be honest with you. What I really like about it, it reminds me of the old-time radio show, uh, show Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, which is basically he's an insurance investigator. And then three-quarters of the show is him investigating and figuring out what's going on. And the last quarter of it is action him doing stuff for me because i have that that i really enjoyed and god it's sad i'm sad to say that in my 20s i i listened to a lot of old-time radio but i did i don't i really like that so I, I kind of appreciate that i think as a as a passive art form that works right so you're you're being told a story you're you're going through the steps of the person who's doing the investigating well i don't think this works from a game is that you have one person at a table who's doing all this reading while everyone else is trying to do something else. And then what makes it worse is you have this one small piece that negates everything else that it threw in as a clue. Now, that part I get. But if it was, if there was some way to do this, I don't know how, but to make it collaborative and almost like a brainstorming uh, session, maybe that the actual end result is more fluid and less uh, dictatorial. Yep. And you could the GM would have uh, liberty to actually sort of come up with what the actual scenario is based on, like based that on your conjecture. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be fun. I that, love that would that. be good. Yeah, sort of having a minimal requirement to say open the opportunity, then anything additional of that is additional bonus or yeah. anything you miss is a detriment to the party going forward. But I love the idea of just crafting the rest of the scenario based on the brainstorming research stuff. Yeah, it's almost like a find-your-fate sort of book thing, but you would actually have uh, you would have collateral that you would work through, and the, the different collateral might lead you into a different direction. This argument is actually a central argument. Not, not a central. It's, it's a big argument in RPGs. It, it comes up, especially with new players, right? It's the first time, even in D&D, the first time you run a puzzle, and let's say the puzzle's a riddle, and you give the players the riddle, 
okay, if the Mike, if you're playing a barbarian with an intelligence of eight or, or even lower, is it realistic? You know, can you allow yourself as Mike the player to solve that riddle? Yeah, no, I'd say no. Yeah, and if no one at the table, if no player can solve the riddle, can the person playing the wizard with an intelligence of seventeen and an IQ of one seventy, can that player not look at me and be like, okay, well, look, I don't have an IQ of one seventy, but my wizard does. Can I roll to solve this? Yeah, and, and that's a that's a classic question. Old school gaming takes attack of no, no, no. These puzzles are for the players to figure out. Um, newer school is hey, no, roll for it. Roll to get clues. Roll to get hints. And have hints ready that you can hand out with successful roles. That way, it's kind of a it's a mix, right? Um, but yeah, this is a central argument uh, separating the players' abilities from the characters' abilities. And we did rolling. I mean, the game calls for investigation roles. There's actually a library role, yep. and you make successful library checks to find stuff. And there is another Call of Cthulhu adventure that I want to run, and I have this idea, and maybe I'll talk about that at the end. But but let's let's leave the research phase for now. And let's talk about kind of the exploration phase. And I'm making these phases up, by the way. Um, the adventure has research, it has exploration, it has combat, but the adventure doesn't have them in phases. So, so I'm the one introducing these, these phases to help me um, organize the podcast, organize this episode. Let's talk about exploration. So exploration is when you actually showed up to the house and went inside. And my intent was to make that phase creepy. Was that phase creepy? Yes. I'll say yes. Nathan? I don't honestly recall too much, but if they think it's creepy, I'll go with them. So we did a lot of whiteboard stuff, and I, I did a lot of talking, and I tried to really change the tone of my voice. I was trying to, to do some really like improv stuff and talk a little lower and a little slower, um, have you guys kind of strain to hear me. I'm not raising my voice. I'm not yelling at you. I'm not trying to get your attention. I'm just telling you what's happening and, and you know, with the house and the description. Um, and you guys made some successful spot check or something. And I started telling you that you were seeing the symbol all over the house. Remember the eye that I drew up on the whiteboard? So I used the whiteboard pretty extensively. Hey, here's the room that you're in. I drew the floor plan up on the whiteboard as you as you moved around. Once you noticed the eye symbol, I drew the eye symbol on the whiteboard. A lot of use of the whiteboard. Do you even remember that, or do you just remember the eye symbol and kind of the general layout of the house? Now, uh, not skipping over that, was this the game where you had that puzzle we had to put together? No. Okay. I remember the, the eye symbol. I, I remember use of the whiteboard. I remember you drawing the floor plan. and it, I remember it, going upstairs, going in the basement. I remember all of that stuff. I don't remember the whiteboard specifically. And that's what I was going for. So open the whiteboard would be, would be kind of transparent. You'd remember the house, but you wouldn't remember the, the board. I remember it being more of a, a theater of the mind-based game, and then you would defer to the whiteboard when you needed to give us specific information. Yeah, like like what room's over what room and things like that. Yep. Um. There's some pretty creepy stuff in the house. So, so exploration, you explored the house, you discovered the symbol, the house was abandoned. You guys acted pretty... So I suspected I was succeeding in creeping you out as your characters acted really cautiously. And Nathan, you say this was your first D100, but actually we'd played Star Wars before this. Right. So we had, we had learned from experience how deadly it was. And I remember one of you guys made the observation pretty quickly that in this game, your characters didn't even have the defense of, of that damage-reducing armor. Like, you had hit points and you had dodge, but you didn't have any armor to reduce that damage on your hit points. I think we also recognized pretty quickly that most of our characters were academics. None of us were adventurers. None of us were 
athletic guys, hardy fighters or anything like that. We were all professors and, and doctors. So getting into physical altercations would not have been in our wheelhouse. So you go in the basement, and this is this is the really spoilerific part if you're listening at home and, and you're thinking about playing The Haunting. Um, there was that knife that was floating in midair. It was very threatening. Um, that seemed to, to be fairly effectively creepy. Yeah. And I very don't Macbeth. know, but let's talk about the research phase again. I don't know if that knife would have been as effective if we hadn't spent a lot of time making in the library, in, in the offices of the newspaper, and firmly grounding the game in reality. And then, oh my God, there's a knife floating in midair. I think it made it seem that much scarier. If we jump straight into the house, there's a knife floating in midair, your gamer brain, D&D brain, would have just kind of accepted, oh, okay, it's magic, you know, we'll deal with it. But I think the research phase might have been necessary to make it all the creepier. What do you think? Well, that's actually something I wanted to, uh, Brigham probably didn't get a chance to mention. Um, I think having that research phase and uh, it being slower paced at the start before we're getting into the uh, good creepy stuff, I think that's just uh, a just how... Um, Oh, Lordy, uh, Lovecraftian stories work. That's, you know, coming once again, self-admittedly, someone's not the world's biggest fan. I think a majority of stories are uh, set in that way. The, you know, protagonist goes in, studies, you know, things get progressively weirder, and then only at the very end does, you know, whatever, you know, ethereal horror show up and things go sideways in a big way. So I think I think that's almost the game, in, you know, emulating the story by uh, just the systems. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. So the knife... Um Shows up, it tries to attack, you guys dodge it, and, and pretty quickly you come up with a plan of dodging it and getting it to stick into a plank or a board behind you, and then you grab the knife. And I had the knife tugging against you for a couple, you know, a couple seconds, and, and then whatever spirit had the knife or whatever magic was, was imbued within the knife vanished from it. Uh, and you guys were creeped out about the knife. As I recall, you put it in a drawer and leaned a chair against the drawer. That sounds right. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. All right, so so good scene there with the knife. Um, let's talk about... Sorry, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, I think the knife was actually one of the things that actually first started to take away sanity points from a few characters, and, yes, too. Yes, did. yeah. Didn't that knife have a name? Wasn't it Mac? <laughs> yes, I believe that was something of our level of humor, yes. Yes, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm going to miss you. I don't even get it. Now, Ma- Mac I the knife. Uh, I still don't get it. The the song. We'll, talk, we'll talk later. Okay. But wasn't there a also an incident regarding in a bathroom upstairs with a tub or something, some dark water attacking one of the characters? Am I recalling that correctly? Does that, does that sound familiar to anyone? There was a bed that tried to throw you out the window. That might have been that. You were thinking of Ghostbusters, too. Sorry. Oh, fair enough. I think we joked about the Nightmare on Elm Street scene when you saw the bathtub. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. Um. All right. So we'll keep going. So the rats. So there was a pack of rats. So the adventure calls for this pack of rats in, in the basement to attack you guys. And I think this was kind of a tension breaker that I didn't intend for it to be. If you're a GM, you're thinking about running the haunting, and you and the knife is really effective, I, I might skip the rats if I were you. Didn't we encounter the rats before the knife? No. No, no. the rats were after. Okay. But the knife was the first thing that was like, the first supernatural thing you saw was that knife floating in midair pointing at you. Okay. And then these rats attacked, and these rats were, like, taking off a lot of hit points. And for a pack of rats to do that, I don't know. In a game where realism seems like such a concern, and hit points are low, and there's no armor, uh, in a game like that, 
these rats took off a lot of hit points per turn. And uh, Nathan was reminding me before we recorded that these rats almost cleaned you guys' clocks. Yeah, they yeah. did. <laughs> so, I, I man, that just seems so unrealistic to me. I, I regret the inclusion of, of the rats. Thoughts? Did, was it a tension breaker? Was it a misstep? I mean, I was from our last game of BRP. I was fully expecting to get killed by the first thing that we looked at. So, no, not really. Just kind of business as usual so far for me. But even for academics. I'm figuring out how a pack of rats could kill four academics outside of an infection of the bubonic plague that would take, you know, several days to play out outside right. of something like that. Right. But to physically kill kill in the moment. Mm. Uh, and I'd agree with you there because, you know, you think like a pack of rats. We had a gun. Someone could fire that gun and the rats would they, scurry. They would scatter. Yeah. yeah. So I think you're right there. I think from a, from a reality, if, if you're going to have a reality-based game, have your have your paranormal events be your actual threats, your your danger to the character. Have realistic enemies be realistic. I don't know. I've, I remember a few of my professors in school that I would probably put the money on the rats, even if they did have a gun. So <laughs> might be that far off. All right. So the, the climax of the adventure, the, the the encounter with the spirit that that was haunting the house. Um, you guys found a false wall in the basement. You uh you didn't call for backup. You just went up to, to, to your truck, and you'd, you'd gotten some tools from a hardware store. You, you used a crowbar. You applied loose some boards. You made your way through the hole, and boom, you found a coffin. Yep. And this, for me, was a defining moment of this game. So, And, and it, was, it was near the end anyway. But you guys found the coffin, and you noped right out of opening that coffin. You were not going to open <laughs> that coffin until. And, and, and the way I thought of it, and maybe the way one of you even described it, was you took every action that every dumb hero in every horror movie doesn't take. So when you're like, no, no, don't open the coffin, you guys didn't. You went upstairs, you took axes, you cut a hole in the ceiling above the coffin, and you had someone up there with like lantern oil or gasoline or whatever ready to douse the coffin in flames. You all had your pistols ready, you had crowbars at, at the ready. You made yourself freaking ready before you opened that coffin. And I, I loved the, the the hole through the floor. Um, is that where you were going? It was the whole. If this is a horror movie, this is what I would do. I wouldn't. Yes. I wouldn't be an idiot opening the coffin. Go ahead. I was just going to say. I think with with having our lives just endangered by a couple of rats, we weren't we weren't going to mess around with anything more <laughs> deadly than a rat. Yeah, and also don't forget, this is the uh, the uh, crew of people that did not wipe during Tomb of Horrors. So we are you know very thoughtful when it comes to this stuff and i i also think about this in terms of like movies like um you know people always make that dumb mistake or people never have a weapon or anything and i often think back to pulp fiction when uh, bruce willis's character has to save marcellus wallace and he winds up finding like a baseball bat a sword and all this other stuff so instead of like going in with you know uh, unarmed and having to have an unrealistic uh, confrontation. He goes in with a with a katana, and he, you know, does what he needs to do. He he's prepared. It it is luck that he has that. But I kind of try to approach things the same way. I want to come in prepared for something like that if I'm going to be if I'm going to put myself at risk. And it reminded me, was it the first Nightmare on Elm Street where they were like, "All right, we're going to get him," and they had like booby trapped their house with like sledgehammers above doors. I think it was uh, like that's the scene. It's like, like Home Alone. The, yeah. But but with Sledgehammer, that, that's the turning point. And that movie was, okay, we're done being victims. We're not going to take the fight to, to them. And uh, that was very much the vibe. So 
the ghost, we'll call him Walter, because, you know, Walter Corbett. So Walter comes out of the coffin, and he's standing there and very zombie-like, and, and you guys do ultimately have the combat, and you, and you take out Walter pretty handily, thanks to all your preparation. So, into the adventure, um, I, I said that the house felt like a weight had been lifted from it, and less gloomy, like like instantly. So let's talk about just all in all. Would you guys play Call of Cthulhu again? Yes. Yes. Maybe. Nathan? Maybe. Maybe. A friend of mine, it's his favorite game system, period. So I didn't even realize that until this past week when I was talking to him about uh, RPGs. Oh, cool. Yeah. And while I'm not crazy about this game system, this isn't my favorite game system, I certainly liked this game system in the Call of the Cthulhu setting much better than I did the Star Wars. I felt I felt this yes. system complemented it well. way more sense. Yeah. What would you change before you ran this again? Well, about that MacGuffin. Yeah, well, yeah. there's yeah, that. So, 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 I mean, yeah, the, the research phase, if we're being honest, probably the research phase. So lots of dis- so cut, cut out the research phase entirely, or just change it. I liked it. No, you need. I, I kind of like what Brian mentioned. Find a way to make that research phase kind of fluid, and have that research phase make Dictate a result. The rest of the story. Yep. I kind of like that because it it would free up me, the GM, assuming I GM this, and I, I assume that I would. It would free me up from having to come up with a crazy conspiracy. You know, I I sow some clues and plot seeds into some articles that you guys find. You guys come up with a crazy theory, and uh, I then figure out a way to make that theory. F- okay, okay, so that so that that is the case. That is reality. As soon as you said that, it made me th- immediately made me think of the uh, apes on a boat story because that's exactly what you did with the apes on a boat. Yeah, game. we adapted the plan at the end for for, for that to work. Yep. So that's interesting. That's really good. So if I did that, I would have to take a break. I would have to say, all right, you guys take fifteen. You know, between the research phase and the actual exploration combat phase, so I could get together some materials and a monster and whatever to make the rest of it come to life according to the research. Would that be too game breaking, or would that be okay? Oh, that'd be great. Definitely be worth a try. All right, let's. let's I want to do that now. All right, and and you, we've already talked about how this was different from Earthport, Escape from Earthport. How how the D one hundred worked better for quote unquote normal people. But speaking of Escape from Earthport. So episode seventeen aired and, two weeks ago. Yeah, and and Nathan caught us after our regular Pathfinder game, and he was like, "Hey, I you know I listened to your BRP Earthport episode, and part of why he's on today is he said, and I almost quote, I freaking hated that game. That was his exact quote, and I didn't know that at all. And part of what I love about about this podcast is it's made me completely thick skinned with that feedback, and instead of I wasn't sad, I wasn't. I wasn't, you know, attacked. I was delighted. I was like, really? I want to hear about that. So, Nathan, I want, I want to give you a chance to talk about what you didn't, because I left the episode basically saying, hey, we'd all had a great time, and it fit Star Wars, and, and largely it was good. But I, I want I want to hear the, the, the dissenting opinion on the air. Yeah, you, you, you left out talking about how everyone liked it. I, I, I was in China at the time, sitting there, you know, go about my bits going, oh, really? Okay, okay. You were listening from China? I was. That is awesome. Yeah. Oh, boy. So that's why we had a Chinese download for that episode. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, me. But no, um, I've I mentioned briefly before, I uh, don't really do much in the way of actual role-playing for my characters. I'm more of a very much a systems guy. I'm a software developer, you know, by hobby and trade. So very much doing all these different systems is what interests me. So coming in... Uh, you guys mentioned briefly how deadly system is, how it is actually hit or, you know, 
finish an encounter, I felt somewhat limited by that. And all the ongoing misses and almost disempowerment of the character really only left the uh, scene, uh, the setting, to really draw uh, enjoyment from, as I don't really uh, you know, roleplay too much. And much like uh, the uh, Cthulhu series, you know, I-, I appreciate Star Wars. I like it just fine for what it is. I don't, you know, go on my way for that sort of thing. I think it's great, but, you know, whatever, you know, one way or the other. So, and I've been thinking about it during this episode, that, that you mentioned that, uh, gosh, uh, Dusty, how long is that account? You said uh, two pages long? Yeah, two two pages, a two-page adventure seed almost instead of an adventure. Right, versus the mid-teens for the uh, Arkham one. We just, High teens, one. 18, yeah. Okay. And I, I, now I think about I think that's why I enjoyed the Arkham one more, is instead of, oh, okay, we're doing Moss Eisley, oh, we're doing Lando, this, this, and this. It's like, oh, I can sit here and do almost a crazy person level, you know, network and a little web of information here to construct my own ideas in this research phase. So you have more content to sink your teeth into. Exactly. So if you, so you're not a Star Wars fan. Right. And if you're not a Star Wars fan, that two pages, it just didn't have enough for you. Correct. And the common language that we were speaking about, Stormtroopers and Corellian YT-1300 freighters and all that, you just weren't getting that at all. Wasn't doing it for me. Yep. Okay, so interesting lesson learned for me here is you can leave a game as a game master thinking that everyone had a good time, and I did, until Nathan stopped me two weeks ago and, and told me that. I thought everyone had a, a good time with Earthport, and you can have a player that freaking hated that game that you don't know about. And for the folks at home, like you guys know, I, I deal in it hy- hyperbole pretty much exclusively, so I wasn't sitting there in angst or hatred. It's like, I didn't really care for that particular game. That's you know that's really the extent of the matter. But thanks to the variety that we play, I mean, you, you kept coming back. So oh yeah, you, you, everything's everything here is 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 good. It's all goodness. But lesson learned: it really pays to ask your players what they thought of your game, and keep asking. And if you have this culture of tell me and I'll take it and I'll think about it and I'll respond. Then, then they'll give you even more feedback. Because when we first started, you guys wouldn't give me feedback. I've talked about talked about that on the show. Every game was, oh, it was a great game. Yep, good game. Now, and that, we've we've definitely grown beyond that. Now, Dusty, this was still fairly old in my tenure with y'all at the table, correct? Oh yeah, you you were you That's were you were a young player at our table. You had only been playing with us. Briefly, that's especially that's especially what happened. Then is I, you you always ask us how it does. I went, yeah, I couldn't mention this, but I'm tired. I want to go home. So yeah, you know that's yeah, fair enough. Uh, nail on the head. All right, that's RPG lessons learned this week. So um, we we will be playing at least Brian and I for sure, and hopefully Mike, Brian, and I will be at Mace, the Mid Atlantic Convention Expo in Charlotte, which is in November 10th. Yeah, so it's in November, probably I think 10th through 12th. Yeah. So we will be at Mace this year. I'll be running at least two games, hopefully three, depending on how preparations go. But I, if you listen and you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, I'd love to see you at Mace. Um, come tell us what you think of the show. And, and hey, speaking of tell us what you, telling us what you think of the show, rpglessonslearn.com uh, will link you to the right subcategory on the tfradio.net website. Leave a comment there. Leave a comment on Facebook. Give us an iTunes review. Give us a review in whatever your platform of choice is. We are always interested to hear what you think about the show. Today's show, we will link to the Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition Quick Start Rules on Amazon. Uh, And if I can find it, we'll also link to the free PDF on Chaosium. So thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your week. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned. And we're sharing ours with you.